Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Micah. The Old Testament book of Micah, chapter number 5. We're going to start off here and then we're going to turn to the New Testament here in just a bit. But as we are honoring Christmas this week, we're going to have a special appropriate Christmas message. And we want to start off with the Old Testament prophecy that will lead us to our message. Now, as we take some time to honor the Lord Jesus Christ, realizing that he was born to die, that Jesus Christ was God, robed in flesh and dwelt among us, that he lived the same life that you and I lived, went through the same temptations, the same troubles and the same heartbreaks, then Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for your sins and to pay for mine. And we see the birth of Jesus Christ and the life and ministry of Jesus Christ predicted all throughout the Old Testament beginning with Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 all throughout the Bible someone calculated that there were over 300 prophecies of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament that were fulfilled by the person of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Now that's very important. And the reason why we bring that up is because we have to teach you something about prophecy. Prophecy is never given for the purpose of satisfying behavior. Meaning that God just didn't give you a prophecy. Hey, let me tell you something cool. And just give them some religious information. But every time prophecy is used in the Bible, prophecy is used for the purpose of changing behavior. There's an expected response because of the, be- of the prophecy that was given. And we start as we talk about the birth of Jesus Christ. We want to begin at the prophecy in the book of Micah. Now I've tried to stall enough so you could find Micah. If you're looking for it, it happens to be right next to the book of Nahum. I don't know if that helps you any better. Or perhaps maybe right after the book of Jonah. You may be a little bit more familiar with that. But the book of Micah chapter number 5. The book of Micah, chapter number 5, and if you don't mind, let's look together in Micah chapter 5, and notice with me in verse number 1. Micah chapter 5 and verse 1. Now gather thyselves in troops, O daughter of troops. He that hath laid siege against us, they shall smite the judge of Israel with a rod upon the cheek. But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel. Israel, whose going forth have been from old, from everlasting. Therefore will he give them up till the time that she which travaileth hath brought forth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return unto the children of Israel. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a name of a small town that is found in the book of Micah chapter 5? Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, notice the word Bethlehem. The word Bethlehem. And with this, we're going to preach a message about Jesus Christ being born in 
Bethlehem. We want to entitle this message, Born in Bethlehem. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And thank you for the great privilege it is to be in your house, to open up your word, to learn more about you and whom you are. I'm asking that you would give us much grace, that you would open up this Bible in a special way as we tell the story and recount what happened. And then we could also see the power of it. Again, your Holy Spirit has to be involved. We know that every sermon has to have two births. It must be born in the study. Then it has to be born again when it's preached. And this message has become so alive inside of the study. I'm praying that by your spirit that it would live again as we open it up and tell it again. I recognize I must be dependent upon you. I need you even now. So fill me with your precious spirit. and Do your own work today that we can learn more about your son and the events that surround it. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Well, as we examine this, the first thing I really want to cover is the prophecy, and then we'll go into the fulfillment of it. But in Micah chapter number 5, we have the prophecy of Jesus Christ being born in Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem is less than a dozen miles southwest of Jerusalem. <laughs> but it was never considered a suburb because back in those days... Uh, a half a dozen or a less than a dozen miles is a day's travel because they didn't have cars, they didn't have trains, they didn't have those. And so it was always considered an outlying village near Jerusalem, but it was its own village. And as we hit this prophecy here, we can see something very interesting. Of course, the minor prophet that's writing it is Micah. He's writing approximately in the 600s BC. That means over 600 years before Jesus Christ was robed in flesh and born in Bethlehem. And yet 600 years before the birth of Jesus, a very important prophecy is given. If you don't mind, let's just examine this just a little bit more. Notice with me in verse number one. Now gather thyselves in troops, O daughter of troops. He hath laid siege against us. They that smite the judge of Israel with a rod upon the cheek. Now in verse one, it's giving an illustration of the king of Jerusalem, Zedekiah. Now, if you're tracing the lineage of Jesus Christ, Zedekiah would be the very last king of Jerusalem before Babylon came and destroyed it in 586 BC. Now, at this time, Jeremiah had been preaching for about 30-something years, trying to encourage the kings of Israel, the kings of Jerusalem, to look to God, to obey him, to obey his scripture. But we watched after king after king after king ignored the prophet Jeremiah. Well, God wanted to double down and he sent some other prophets, including Micah, to also give some predictions to try to encourage them to help change the behavior of the kings. And noticing what's going to happen, he talked about they shall smite the judge of Israel. This is another term for the king of Israel with a rod upon the cheek. Now, this is an old ancient custom of Israel insulting the person. In today's way, one of the worst ways you can insult someone is by spitting in their face. 
that, that's pretty much a bad insult. Well, in the ancient world, it was considered a huge insult, one of the worst insults to take a rod and just kind of backhand it where they hit it across their cheek. And so in this, God is trying to warn them, but in it, he also gives them hope. Verse number two, but thou Bethlehem Ephratah. Now it's talking about this village of Bethlehem. The word Bethlehem means house of bread. Ephratah means fruitful. And so he's saying, all right, God has a plan in this little place of Bethlehem, giving the exact location. Verse number two, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah. Now, what are we talking about? These little among the thousands. Well, among Judah and all of uh, this area here, there are tiny little villages here, here, and here. The Bible is talking about thousands of these little tiny villages. Out of all these tiny little villages, there's one tiny little village that is going to be exalted, and this is Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem has never been a New York City. It has never been a London, England, or Paris, France, or New, De uh, New Delhi, India. It has never been a center of trade or commerce. It's a small little backwater village, a small little tiny village, but yet God exalted this village among all the little villages in the world, so almost everybody has heard of Bethlehem. This little village here, God has exalted it. Out of all these little tiny ones, God picked this one. By the way, Bethlehem is an interesting heritage because it was the place where David was born. This was the place where the lineage of Christ is, goes through from Ruth and Boaz to Obed to Jesse to David himself all came from this little backwater, little village. And God is giving the recognition that this village is going to be elevated and exalted out of proportion. Now, again, everybody's heard of New York City. Everybody's heard of Paris, France. But those are big, huge cities of commerce, of wealth, of, of fame, of historical importance. But the only thing important that came out of this little town here, it's not known for finances. It's not known for entertainment. It's known because of the lineage of Christ. And God has exalted this little tiny village to the place where everyone has heard about it. Where the name of Christ is given. Now, verse number 2 again. But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he, this is Jesus, come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel. Israel, whose going forth have been from old, from everlasting. Now again, it's talking about this little town here. God is going to have Jesus, who by the way, did not begin at Bethlehem. He began from everlasting. At Bethlehem, he just robed himself in flesh. But at Jesus Christ is going to be robed in flesh there. And he is going to be the ruler of the world. Imagine that. The ruler of the world, his home village is Bethlehem. That God is going to exalt this little village to make it of worldwide fame. In verse number 3, time now speeds up inside of the prophecy. In verse number 1 and 2, it's talking about King Zedekiah's day. And talking about when Jerusalem's ready to fall, but it's giving hope. But then in verse number 3, it fast forwards to the actual prophecy. Therefore will he give them up until the time that, notice this, she which travaileth hath brought forth. 
So this little she is going to be Mary. And then the remnant of the brethren shall return to the children of Israel. That when she travails, she's going to produce a child that's going to bring everyone else back to him. Now, as time goes forward, as we're tracing through the lineage of Christ, that we see the lineage of Christ goes on and it's in caps, the very end, this, this lineage that had David, this lineage that had Solomon, this lineage that had all these kings, Hezekiah and Ahaz, these other kings, Uzziah. This lineage of Christ is going to filter down and it's going to end at a poor peasant girl. About 14, 15 years old. Imagine her with patches on her clothes. This is the lineage of Christ. Now of this little girl of Mary. And her husband-to-be happens to be the other end cap of the lineage of Christ of the kingly line. A poor carpenter. And at that time a carpenter did not make lots and lots of money. Just a poor carpenter from a backwater town by the name of Joseph. And the lineage of Christ ends up in these two poor people. And yet from this poor lineage, God is going to produce his son that comes to rule the world. Now, let's go to the gospel record of Matthew and see the fulfillment. I wanted to show you the prophecy because the prophecy is very clear. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the one that's going to rule the world, it shows where he's going to be born. He's going to be born in the town of Bethlehem. Without a doubt, that's easy to understand. The Bible says he's going to be born in Bethlehem. As you're turning to the gospel record of Matthew, may I also tell you that there's other prophecies of Christ and the predictions of him being born. In fact, there's one in Daniel that actually predicts when he's going to be born. To the day, may I say. So anyone of the, who read the Old Testament, that read the Jewish Torah, that understood scripture, would know from the Bible, from prophecy, where Jesus was to be born and when he was to be born. And so the Bible is very clear and it's very specific. Now that sounds pretty exciting, right? That the people were able to say when he was going to be born and where he was going to be born. So how do you think people are going to respond? How do you think that the show up turnout's going to be for this event that says where and when? Well, with this, we now turn to the gospel record of Matthew in chapter number 2. The gospel record of Matthew, chapter number 2. And if you don't mind, let's start in verse number uh, 1. Chapter 2 in verse number 1. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written of the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, art thou not the least among the princes of Judah? For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people 
Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently of what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. And when they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over the young, where the young child was. Now, let's recount this story. In it, it has the emphasis on these wise men. These wise men came from the east country in Arabia or Persia around them. And they were called the wise men or as others put it, the magi. The magi were very special scholars and rulers inside of Arabia and inside of Persia. These were people who had uh, became philosophers and priests of the Persians. They were Gentiles, so they weren't Jewish people, but they were scholars and they studied and they learned. And one day, in the midst of their regular activities, a strange astrological thing happened. A star, for the lack of a better term, appeared in the sky and it had never been there before. It had never shown up. People were like, what is this? Could you imagine if there was a strange star that showed up? A strange light that just would not go away? How the people would talk about it? By the way, the people did talk about it. In other sources outside of the Bible, including the Roman scholars who were not believers, who did not recognize what the star was, they recorded in their histories that the star appeared. One of the most famous would be Suetonius, who did a biography of the first 12 Caesars. He mentions that there was some light in the sky that no one could explain. And so other sources speak about this event. This isn't just a biblical mythology that only mentions in the Bible. Other people around the world were, what is this? And so here are these wise men that studied. Now it would probably be the first day, what is that? Second day, still a curiosity. But after it remaining there, they began to study. And now these were scholars. And they began to compare notes. And they began to look at ancient texts. And they began to look. And finally they came to the conclusion. I think this star marks a birth of someone very important. This birth, according to some sources, is supposed to be God himself, robed in flesh. The son of God. Wait. Do you want to go see him? Let's go see him. And so they had to plan an exposition. And they had to make a plans of traveling thousands of miles. Now remember, no cars, no airplanes. They had to make a plan. These were wise men and rulers. So they had an entourage with them. They were decided they were going to give presents to worship this divine being who showed up. And so the preparations were made. And the finances to make the travel were made. And organization. By the way, this took time. Let me just pop your little bubble now. And as much as manger saints may be cute, the wise men were not there at the birth of Jesus Christ. But it took time to do scholarship and to look and to plan the exposition and to travel and to work. And they were all looking forward to it. Look, the scriptures say here, these ancient texts here, we're looking forward to it. And so they traveled. 
And as they traveled, they saw the star seemed to be leading them to the place of Judea. Now the capital of Judea, the, the center of all travel, commerce, and government for the Jewish people was in Jerusalem. And so they showed up at Jerusalem, not Bethlehem, and they started to look. Now what they expected when they showed up there, because they said people should be here, people should be celebrating the birth, they're expecting Flyers, streamers, posters, celebration. Yay, our Jesus is born. Our God is born. Our people. And they show up. Nothing. Crickets. People are going about their business as if nothing major had happened. Everything was business as normal. Everything was as it should be. No celebrations, no parties, no people thanking God for the answers to prophecy and the answer to prayer. Nothing. Now the wise men are confused. They had showed up here because of a great event of God being born robed in flesh. And nobody seems to know about it. They would go up to people and say, Hey, where is this Christ that's born? Where is this person that... that, that that is born. That is made of prophecy. And the people said. I don't know what you're talking about. But. But. Your scriptures are talking about. That. That this Christ child. Your Messiah. He's born. Where's he at? I don't know what you're talking about. Don't you consider yourself to be one of God's people? Well yes. I'm one of God's people. Then where's he at? I don't know what you're talking about. Do you faithfully attend a church or a synagogue temple? Oh yeah, I go to synagogue all the time. Well, where is this one that you've been, your scriptures talk about? What are you talking about? Can you imagine their frustration? They're starting to talk to people. And they're, where's he at? Now again, these are rulers and scholars. And they have an entourage. And they're with them. And they're asking people, you look important. Where is this one born? I don't know what you're talking about. But this is your scriptures. This is your Messiah. I don't know what you're talking about. Can you imagine what it would be like to travel thousands of miles to go worship the, the child that was born, the one born of God, and nobody cares. Nobody's looking for him. Nobody's celebrating. Everyone is ignoring what had happened. Nobody cares. So finally, some news travels to the king at that time, King Herod. Someone may have said, hey, we do have a king of the Jews. Well, what's his name? Herod. Well, how old is he? Yeah, it's 50-something. Well, it's not the one we're looking for, but maybe we could go talk to him. And so they start giving information. Notice with me back in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judah... In the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. <coughs> These wise men, in verse 2, <coughs> saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? Excuse me. <coughs> Where is he that is born king of the Jews? Now they're asking specific question. Where's your king? Where's the king of the Jews? Where's the one that was born of this star? You see the star? Yeah, that one. He shows your king is born. 
Where is he at? I don't know what you're talking about. We've just been wondering what that thing is too. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now again, imagine how frustrating that would be. You saw a star and you traveled it. All the rest of the people are like, that's nice. I wonder what that's for. Oh, well, let's go shopping. And they show up and nobody cares. Nobody's interested. And it's for them. It's not for everyone else. It's for them. And they're ignoring it. Verse 3. And when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. Now, if you know anything about King Herod, you know that is a true statement. Probably no truer statement about Herod in the Bible. When he was troubled... All of Jerusalem was troubled. This is a guy who, when he was ready to die, knew that no one was going to mourn for him. So he arrested the 70 most prominent people in the region with orders that when he died, those 70 people were to be executed. So that way the whole country would be in mourning when he died. So when he got troubled, everyone else was troubled too. He got in a killing mood. And they're all People are asking about where the real king of the Jews are. And nobody wants to mention Herod. Herod's getting troubled. And everybody's getting upset. Oh, oh we got to get this sorted out. Verse number four. And when he, Herod, had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes. So here's the people who professionally study their Bible. He gathered them together. He demanded of them... Where Christ should be born. Verse 5. And they said unto him. In Bethlehem of Judah. For thus it is written in the prophet. And thou Bethlehem in the land of Judea. Art thou not least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor. That he may rule my people Israel. Now may I pause here. Here is Herod. He gathers up all the Old Testament scholars. The scribes. The Pharisees. The people who supposedly knew their Bible. And Herod asked them a question. Where is this Christ supposed to be born? Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? They don't have to research. They don't say, let me get back to you. They just quote scripture. Well, the Bible says in Micah that Christ is supposed to be born in Bethlehem. Now, let me pause. This is a big deal. These are people who know where Christ was to be born. Why weren't they looking for him? Why wasn't it? Well, we learned something. Carnal people have no desire for Scripture or fulfilled Scripture. Herod didn't care about Christ. He cared that there was someone that was going to take his place. These Old Testament scholars, they did not care about Christ. They just wanted to show how smart they were. You know, when the thing about fulfilled prophecy is that prophecy is always given for the purpose of changing behavior. But if you don't want to change your behavior, you don't care about prophecy. In fact, you want to discount prophecy and say that it's not true. Because if God is able to tell us the future, then the things he says that he's going to be our judge is also true. That one day you and I will face God and have to give an account. This is why people discount prophecy. And try to walk it away. And try to 
explain it away and try to ignore it. Because if prophecy is true, therefore there's a God who gave the prophecy that we have to give an account to. If prophecy is true, that also means the rest of the Bible is true. This is why fulfilled prophecy is a big deal. Prophecy is never given for the purpose of just religious information, for entertainment. It is always given for the purpose of changing behavior. What was the behavior that God wanted from his people? He wanted them to be searching for Christ and looking for his fulfillment that they showed up where he was supposed to be born and when he was supposed to be born. But because the people had gotten to the place where they didn't care about the Bible, no one showed up. Even though God said where and when. Now again, this is why it's so amazing to the wise men when no one is looking for Jesus. No one cares, especially when the Bible is so specific. Where he's supposed to be born and when he's supposed to be born. That their hearts are so cold and so calloused and so non-caring. Oh, sure, Christ is supposed to be born. That's great. Let me know about it later. It's not a big deal to them. Their hearts are cold. It is so cold that God actually has to get heathen scholars and kings from a foreign land just to come to worship him because God's people would not worship him. You understand that this is the whole purpose of what God wants for us. The Bible talks about in John chapter 4. That the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is seeking for worship. And yet these people won't show up to worship when they could have. They had the scriptures. They could have known the scriptures. They could have read it for themselves. Where he was supposed to be born. And when he was supposed to be born. But because none of God's people would show up. God had to send heathen kings, scholars, from a foreign land just to come, to show up. So someone would be there. That's pretty amazing. In fact, it's pretty heartbreaking. Notice if you don't mind as we go on. Verse number 7. Then Herod, when he had privately called in the wise men. Now Herod had every intention of killing the Christ child. So he didn't have a big fancy meeting. He brought in these wise men separately and said, all right, hey, we found out where he's at. We believe that, uh, notice in verse 7, and when he had, had privily called the wise men, he inquired of them of, diligently of what time the star appeared. Now let me pause there. He has to ask the wise men about when the star appeared because he lost track because he didn't care. That's a big deal. And so we also know that there's a passage of time from the time that the star appeared to the time the wise men showed up. We believe up to about two years. Jesus, the baby, in, robed in flesh, could have been in flesh for almost two years at this time. And verse number 8, and he sent them to Bethlehem. Why? Because that's what the scripture said. The scripture said he's going to be born in Bethlehem. So we're going to send you to Bethlehem. Go and search diligently. Now notice this word diligently is found uh, in here. He says, uh, 
verse number 7, he said diligently. Verse number 8, diligently. This carries the idea that this was very inquisitively, on purpose, this seeking. And verse 7, he was seeking for information. Verse number 8, he is having them to seek for child. He says, no, no, no. You look diligently. You don't give up your search. He's got to be there somewhere. You go find him. When he was talking about diligently, about what time, he didn't want, well, it's been there for a while. No, I want to know exactly when the star was there. He has plans. We'll get to that in a second. But he said, look diligently for the child. I want you to find the child. I want you not only to find the child, but go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. By the way, if I haven't mentioned Herod was a liar, Herod's a liar. He had no desire to worship Christ. He wanted religious information so that way he could kill any threat. By the way, when he found out that the star appeared about two years ago, and he found out where it was going to be born, he goes and sends armies to kill every child two years and younger, kill them all in Bethlehem, because he wanted to get rid of the threat. He had no desire to worship God himself. He had no desire to understand prophecy unless it helped him. But he didn't want to do it for the Lord and worship him. Verse 9. And when they, the wise men, had heard the king, they departed and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them until it came and stood over where the young child was. Hey, at least someone was following the, the star. Someone was searching for Christ. Somebody wanted to worship him. Now, let's go back to our divine imagination. Mary and Joseph stayed in Bethlehem after the birth of Jesus because it was better than traveling. They were still poor. They were probably in a little shack. And I want you to think in your mind's eye, here is Mary holding little baby Jesus. It's 8 o'clock at night. The sun is down. They have candles. Who can that be? They're in a little ramshackled shack. So they open the door. And to their surprise, it's not a neighbor. It's not other poor people. Here's Mary in a dress with patches. Here's Joseph trying to bear what, just wear his normal clothes. And here are three well-dressed rulers, magi, scholars, with an entourage of people bearing gifts. And they knock on the door and they look down at the peasant, little Mary. They look down at Joseph, just a working class man and they said we have followed the star and we've came to worship the Christ child. Is that him? Could you imagine how uncomfortable awkward Mary would feel like to have these three rulers, these well dressed they're put on their ceremonial clothes, they're meeting the Christ today they're meeting the God and they show up in the little house and they ignore what the shack looks like because they came for one purpose, to worship this Christ child. And they come, they scoot things aside to allow everyone to get in. They enter in and they fall down and they take a knee in front of this child. They actually start worshiping the child. Again, here's Mary, Petches, moving out of the way and watching these three well-dressed magi, scholars, Falling down on their face and worshiping this child. Don't you think that would be an experience? 
And they showed up and they explained that we have followed the star. And we came because we read in the scriptures, the ancient text. And we heard that Jesus was to be born. This Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. And we showed up here. This star led us right to him. We came to acknowledge this is the Son of God. Wow. Here, they thought they could get away with everyone ignoring him for two years. No one's made a big deal out of this. And now this entourage shows up and they start worshiping him. Verse 11. And when they had come into the house, that's important. They're not coming into the manger. They're not coming to the barn. They're coming into their house. They saw the young child, not a baby, a young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented him, Jesus, gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, this is a big presentation. Can you imagine a little two-year-old child and wise men are falling down before him and worship him as king? And again, where's the setting? Not in a palace, not in a royal ballroom. This old shack that's barely put together. And they're worshiping the Christ child. Now again, why is this a big deal? Because God clearly made a prophecy where Jesus was to be born. He made other prophecies about the conditions he was going to be born. The things that were going to happen when he was going to be born. And when he was going to be born. And anybody who knew their scriptures should have known where and when he was supposed to be born. The problem was is that no one was seeking after him. So God had to go round up three scholars to come and seek Christ. Now we fast forward today. We have scriptures. And from the scriptures we could learn all about God. We can learn what he's like. We can learn that we can talk to him. We can learn that he's forgiven of us. We can learn that we can have a personal relationship with the God of the universe. And you know what the problem is today? I'm not talking about the heathen lands. I'm not talking about non-believers. I'm talking about us. That we have all this access to the scriptures. And we have the same problem. We're not seeking after him. We're not looking for him. We're not desiring to be with him. It's become just an ordinary thing. Jesus is just something I do on Sundays. And Mondays I don't even think about him. And Tuesdays is not in my mind. Wednesdays I might think about it if I show up to church. But I don't look for him. How often times do we say, well, I'm supposed to read my Bible. But we just read it for information. We read it like a newspaper. And we're not seeking after him. How many times that we finally say, well, I suppose I should pray. Rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for this grub. Or now I lay me down to sleep. But when we pray, we're not seeking for him. Let me tell you that the Old Testament people had no excuse during Herod's time. They should have known how to get a hold of Christ. When to get a hold of Christ. But the problem was they weren't seeking for him. The problem today is that we have the scriptures. And we know from the scriptures how we can get a hold of Christ. How we could be with him. How we could have a personal, intimate fellowship with him. Why don't we have this relationship? Because we're not seeking for him. We're not seeking for him when we could have. What is the purpose of prophecy? Prophecy is always given for the purpose of changing behavior. 
Why is this prophecy stated? Why is this story with the wise men such a big deal? It's not just because it's a Christmas thing. It is because the people of God were not seeking for him. So God had to have someone else to publicly seek for him as a condemnation because God's people weren't. Are you seeking for God? Is he important to you? The Bible gives promise after promise that if you seek after him, he will be found. You know, you are always as close to God as you want to be. As close as you are right now, you're there because that's where you want to be. And you could always be closer to God. You could always be seeking after him more. You can know more about him and he wants you to. Why aren't you then? Because we don't want to. So I want to ask you as we're thinking about Christ. And of course during a Christmas message we talk about that he's born to die. And he was born to die. But you know he's not born just to give us a holiday every year. He's not born just so we can have a holiday where we get off work. And just send Christmas songs. And get Christmas presents and enjoy family. Though you should. The purpose is that this is God who robed himself in flesh to dwell among us to die. Why was he born to die? So we can have fellowship with him. So we can be with him. And that any Christian who believes the Bible has no excuse because the Bible tells us of why we don't have a close relationship with him. So let me ask you, how is your seeking? Are you seeking after him? Is he someone you want to find? Is he someone you want to worship? Or is he just a normal everyday part of your life? I just add Christ to what I'm already doing. I just have Christ over there in the peripheral. It's no big deal. Are you seeking after him? Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.